Today's episode of the Wretched Hive Podcast is sponsored by Timeless Pints Brewing Company. Timeless Pints is your go-to location for distinctively different beer in Southern California. They offer a huge variety of amazing handcrafted beers, including Belgians, Blonde, and Red Ales. The Honey Blonde is actually delicious. But really, the dark beers are my favorites, and the Bear Reader Huckleberry Stout has been my go-to beer for years with its complex roast of malts and barley and just a hint of huckleberry. Oh man, it is delicious. Lately, I've been enjoying the Rocktoberfest and when it comes back around, the London Porter is one of the best beers I think I've ever had. But over at Timeless Pints, the beer is great. It's really the service though that sets Timeless Pints apart. That place is really my cheers and it's been that way for the last five years. Timeless Pints is right here in Southern California, in Lakewood, just a mile or so off the 405 freeway at the Cherry Avenue exit, right next to Long Beach Airport. To keep up with the latest beer releases, information about food trucks or special events, follow Timeless Pints at Timeless Pints on Twitter, or visit them on the web at TimelessPints.com. Pop over to Timeless Pints today, have a pint, and make sure to tell them the Wretched Hive sent you. Welcome to the Wretched Hive Podcast. Bad feeling about this. Moss Eisley Spaceport. What are you talking about? You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is ridiculous. We must be cautious. Actually, we're just a bunch of guys talking about Star Wars and other stuff. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. That's good news. I like the sound of that. Welcome to another mini-episode of the Wretched Hive Podcast. My name is Steve Baldwin, and I'm joined by lifelong Star Wars fan, Scott Ivansky. Hey, Steve. I am uh, excited to be here. We are uh, having a special mini-episode, yeah. and we are broadcasting not from the Hive Cave. Is it, what, what are you, the, the fortress? The Palatial of... Wretched Hive Studios, Studio, Scott. you got to get it right. It. Oh, okay, we, I'll get that right next time. Um, I.e. my garage. Yeah. Yes. But I'm happy to be here, and uh, we got some stuff to talk about. Yeah. All Mandalorian. Yeah, we have not spent a lot of time talking about The Mandalorian. This is a huge Star Wars property and has really, in many ways, taken over the uh, nerd world, if you will, in the last couple of months. Yeah. It's really just been huge headlines with Baby Yoda and all of that. We need to, we need to talk about this. We need to... Yeah, yeah this, this thing is a pop this thing out. culture phenomenon right Absolutely. now. We were talking; it's not just the nerddom that it's hitting. It's talking. We're talking world domination right now. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Baby Yoda's everywhere, so we need to we need to break this down a little bit deep, uh, more deeply, uh, for ourselves and for you guys, our listeners. And so we figured we'd take a little time here on a Sunday. We're down at Timeless Pints, the best beer in Southern California. Fantastic beer right now. I'm enjoying this amber. And it's just amazing. I've got the Rocktoberfest. Nice. My favorite. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. There you go. Uh, thank you to our sponsor, Timeless Pints. And um, just, just kind of break down, talk about Mandalorian as a season, as a series, as a property. Um, we talked at length about episode one, which was now, I guess, 10 weeks ago. Yeah. Almost. Right? Because it was an eight-week season and oh, it eight. ended two weeks ago. Yeah. So... Two and a half months ago, wow. uh, it started, that. and yeah, so we we dropped an episode right around when episode one of The Mandalorian dropped, yeah. and we broke it down shot by shot, or close to that, and we really haven't talked about it much since. So uh, this is our opportunity, Scott, to, to sort of break it down. Um, we're not going to go shot by shot or episode by episode for The Mandalorian, but we do want to give our perspective of of the show overall. Yeah, I think we're going to cover uh, definitely a season overview on this, but yeah. we're going to po- probably be pulling in some of the uh, finer details of some of those episodes. So we won't yeah. be doing a full detail breakdown of each episode, but you'll get some highlights from each one most likely in this review. And hopefully in the future, we, we will sit down with all the guys and have a similar conversation because clearly this show has a lot to do with the future of the Star Wars universe. It does. There's no doubt. All right, so... The show is The Mandalorian. It's on Disney Plus. If you haven't seen it, you need. First of all, if you haven't seen it, oh, we need to throw up a spoiler alert right yeah, now. Yeah, definitely. Is this where all we're right. going to insert? Yeah, I'll yeah, go ahead and insert a spoiler alert at three oh seven. We need to. We need to do that because yeah, if you haven't seen the show yet, 
do not listen to this podcast. You'll get spoiled. It's funny. Most of the spoiler stuff is out there, and everybody knows about Baby Yoda now. I mean, my God, that thing has taken over the, the planet. Yeah. But there is definitely a major spoiler point by the end of the series. So let's... Yeah, let's, for sure. Yeah, All we'll, right. We'll get to that. All right. So, um, Scott, is there any doubt that this is John Favreau's show? I mean, John Favreau came in with this idea. He produces the show. You and I did the head count before we started uh, rolling tape here. He uh, wrote six of the eight episodes. Yeah. He directed two of the episodes. Um, his his hands have been all, all over this thing from the beginning. What do you think... Uh, where do you think this puts John Favreau in, in in the Star Wars sort of royalty? Yeah, he's he's definitely jumped up in. When you say royalty, I'm going to say he is probably now in the top seven, mm-hmm. maybe top five most important people in the Star Wars universe when it comes to creating. Um, yeah, this show really has taken the world by storm. Um, and it was funny because it, I thought it would just unite a lot of the Star Wars fans, which it really has. Mm. But in in a sense, it's become the new thing, the new trilogy, the new thing that we're really kind of all obsessing about. Um, and it's wonderful. It's really yeah. good to see that the people that have disagreements, their arguments are fine. And I would totally you know love talking about those because I think we're going to talk about some of those. But I think the the unity of the group has been... One of the most amazing things to see, the transformation of the divided fans coming back together and enjoying a hell of a show. I totally agree. It's been such an entertaining and fun run, and it's been really fun to see so much positivity again around Star Wars. I mean, with The Last Jedi being so divisive among fans and really creating like almost... um, I hate to say it, but almost like two groups of fans. uh, You know... um, one one group that was really felt felt like the the universe was going in a direction that they couldn't follow, and um, that you know created a situation where fans were either fans of the original trilogy only or fans of everything else. Yeah, and, and it just split split us in two. It it, it did. I, yeah, Last Jedi definitely split the fandom in, or the fan base into two camps. But I really feel like even with Rise of Skywalker. Mm. It was hard for fans to go back, even myself, who, who had a lot of issues with Last Jedi, yeah. um, to kind of bring that back together. I thought Rise would kind of hopefully bring it together, but it seems to even divide a little bit more. There are there are a lot of questions still about the movie series that we're going to be talking about for the next few months on this show. Yeah. Um, but what's nice is we have The Mandalorian to really kind of bring us back together, back to what it really meant to be Star Wars fans. And I, I love that about that. Right. Yeah. John Favreau, other than The Lion King, for me, can do no wrong at this point. So Man, I mean, he basically helped... I mean, could you say that he resurrected the Marvel Cinematic Universe with, with Iron Man that sort of started oh. it all? I mean, is he responsible for he is, the success of Marvel as well? Yeah, well, I mean, that has been known that if... If Iron Man didn't take off, yeah. what we saw in those 23 films would never occur, at least not to the level that we saw it. Yeah. Iron Man was was a gamble that paid off immensely, especially for Disney and uh, the Marvel Comics. So yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see what he does for the next couple seasons on this show. Right, so you've got, you've got Favreau working um, shoulder to shoulder with Dave Filoni, who of course was... Selected as the chosen one by George Lucas, trained by George Lucas in in the ways of the Force, and not just metaphorically speaking, like literally in what is the Force, what does it mean, what does this thing mean, and what does it do, and what does it not do. He uh, created the Clone Wars for uh, uh, six seasons, and we're about to get a seventh season seventh now. Seventh season. He made cowboy <laughs> hats sexy again. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> So, uh, and who, in my opinion, as I've long opinionated on this show, is that a word? Is yeah, that a yeah. verb? I'm going to go with it. Yeah, we can make up stuff. Um, Steve Miller did it, so why can't we? Filoni should be the showrunner for, for, for the Star Wars universe. Uh, and for all we know, he is at this point. I mean, he's involved in multiple projects, including, of course, The Mandalorian. Um, 
and the Clone Wars um, coming soon to a Disney Plus uh, set top box near you. Hey, he's canon now too. He is in. He, he is a pilot. He's a rebel pilot. Yes. Yeah. And uh, what was that? Ep- that was uh, God, now. You're, I'm, I'm going to stop myself in trying to figure out which episodes these were. I think it was episode five. Uh, maybe it was six. It was that the, was six. The that prisoner. was that was the prisoner when yeah. they were on the on the uh, ship um, trying to rescue this this rogue client, this yes. rogue uh, prisoner. Oh yeah, <laughs> but he's really there. Cool. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Filoni is in all three. All three of those X-wing pilots were directors of, of episodes for the Mandalorian. So good to see. He's got some great talent um, directing these episodes, um, and so including. I, and we have to mention Deborah Chow. Yes, Deborah Chow is an important name that Star Wars fans will need to remember. Definitely remember that name because she is going to make uh, a big name for herself in the upcoming Obi Wan series. Yes. So she is uh, the creative talent behind that, or uh, is she the producer? Sort of like is she the John Favreau to the Mandalorian? Is she analogous to that for the Obi Wan series? As far as I know, I need to do a little bit more research, but she yeah. is definitely directing, and I don't yeah. know how many, maybe the entire series, but yeah. she might be also one of the producing talents behind that as well. So and you got Rick Fumayawa, who uh, directed two episodes, uh, and of course Taika Waititi. Yes. Who was fantastic as IG Eleven? Yes, uh, and go out and see his movie uh, Jojo Rabbit. It's fan freaking tastic. Yeah, but definitely it will be uh, nominated. Another huge talent, uh, and then uh, you had Bryce Dallas Howard who directed one episode, episode four, which I think is a good episode. It's getting sort of panned as the worst of the eight, but if that's the worst of the eight, I still think it's. Pretty good. I mean, I, I love that episode still. I'm, I'm going to say this right now. I really now. liked um, it, I guess. I am, I am definitely the uh, opposing viewpoint on that. Um, it is the worst episode. Uh, but I'm not going to put that in her hands. I don't hands. think that's opposing. I think everybody feels that way. Honestly, the, the arguments do. I've had with that, and we'll get to it, were writing and not directing. I think Bryce Dallas Howard is a, is a serious talent and a wonderful person yeah. that we know of and what she's done. But I think the writing on that suffered immensely, right. and that's not her fault. That's fair. So, yeah. Well, let's 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 look at the overarching arc of the show and sort of the style of the approach they've taken for publishing the show. Absolutely. Uh, we've we've uh, it's been compared. Uh, and actually, there was an article that was shared on our thread, Scott. Um, uh, this. Let me see if I can pull it up quickly here. Yeah, I think we got to give Dave a lot of credit for getting this out there. Um, well, while you're looking that up, I, I want to bring this up because I think Dave and I and a few of us on the show have discussed this. One of the similarities that we have, and we'll get to all the, the, the finer details, but uh, the obvious thing is the introduction to Baby Yoda in this mm-hmm. after the first episode, the big yeah. reveal. Um, and, and how can you not talk about Baby Yoda when you talk about the Mandalorian? It is, it is the phenomenon that's really sweeping the world. But... It really brings into the idea of this lone gunman western vibe that kind of has this sidekick character, which is very similar to this early 70s series called Lone Wolf and Cub. But Dave was, uh, I believe, the one. Maybe Greg brought this up on the show. I think it was Dave. Um, fantastic series. If, uh, if you really want to get an idea of where this show might be going, check that out. It ran for, I believe, two to three years, uh, about 28 volumes on that. Uh, it was a comic book series. Really brings out the idea that there's this guy who's got every side against him, and all he has is this small child with him, and he goes on these adventures, which does lead to an overall arc and eventually a pretty satisfying ending. So if that's where they're going or basing this off of, wonderful job on Filoni and Favreau's part. So Yeah, well, it's been an exciting run to see the Mandalorian who is... <clears throat> basically been set up as the most badass warrior we've come across which by the o- way other than the mudhorn well <laughs> well let's bring this up yes yeah. as we know he's a badass warrior but what we learn in the show is yes. fantastic he's not the most badass and actually has to rely on a lot of the people around him to get out of situations and his own crew yes. his own mandalorian yes. warriors who actually are a lot bigger and badass he's a badass warrior with a heart yes right He's the hooker with a heart. <laughs> He's the space hooker with a heart. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. A hooker with a heart. I like yeah. that. And Basquiel Steel, right? Is yes. Basquiel? Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll go with that. 
<laughs> I, 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 where do you go from there? I know. Um, yeah, let's let's go. I want to go back to something you said, and that was the yeah. the whole idea of the the Western in space, yeah. which. Um, if you look back at those, I love reading the old like L.A. Times and New York Times film reviews from the '70s, from the '77, which is you know all the the uh, the movie critics at the time caught on to or called Star Wars a, a western in space, yeah. and that's really what Filoni has created. Filoni and Favreau have created here with the Mandalorian, all the way down to the music that they've selected. It feels like. A spaghetti western. Yeah, let's let's definitely bring that up. Um, the the similarities are amazing. I love the concept that it brings back the initial kind of gritty feel of the first movie. That yet yeah, the first movie was a kids film. All of them are kids films. But yes. if one of the things we've argued over the last four years is how incredible those first ori- the original trilogy uh, films were, was the fact that it wasn't catering to kids in a sense it was just making a really good film that kids could appreciate and it had a western vibe to it yes that is certainly with the whole opening sequences of Tatooine and the Mos Eisley space cantina uh, we're talking about just a real gritty scenario right we won't even get into the Han shot first dilemma but it's still a gritty sequence you know I've never quite understood that by the way that Lucas will say time and time again that he was making he wanted to create a modern mythology for kids yeah and then he has Han as a cold-blooded killer blowing away Greedo in that opening scene in the cantina. No, I guess we are going to talk about well, well, <laughs> well, well we don't have to go deep but I've always thought there was a little contradiction there yeah with um, Lucas what I, what I really appreciated about Lucas at that time was uh, the concept that he made this film. It was a kid's film, but it wasn't necessarily made for kids. And kids' yeah. films in the time were a lot darker and grittier. Uh, we're talking like Willy Wonka. Um, and there was another one out yeah, there. Yeah, that's a good point. Somewhere, uh, so, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Yes. These are all dark fantasy films mm. that still catered to kids, but not necessarily became the, the foo-foo, fluffy films that we know nowadays. Um, and it had a good message in there, but it didn't sacrifice the filming. It was still a great film. It felt like a real film, um, yeah. and that's what I really appreciate about how they're doing this series. The, the we're talking about the um, opening sequences when we uh, we were introduced to this character. It's a very gritty series. It's mm-hmm. a setting. There's a couple bits of humor in there. Um, you mentioned, I think, we were talking about this earlier, Steve, um, the OK Corral sequence. Um, I think that got cut off when we stopped recording. That's OK, but we can still bring that up. <laughs> I think we've talked about it before, but yeah. uh, let's talk about that because, yeah, that sequence is actually quite violent and intense, but it has a great message and a great moment. I, the whole buildup and the story, the way it's told... You were talking about a few things on there. You yeah, to- it's amazing. I mean, in the first episode, the way we're introduced to getting to, to, to leading up to the Baby Yoda moment in episode one, where we basically have this, this like gnarly shootout, yeah. which is, I, I, I look at it as like an OK Corral moment where they're just like blasting each other away. They're killing all the bad guys. You got that great moment with, um, with the Mandalorian all like on like the turret gun, which is a, a, a callback to the, the animated short in the middle of the holiday special oh yeah right that's fantastic and then they blow through the door to get to where the their target is and then it's a little baby it's just it's so poetic and wonderful and then you have like the Sistine Chapel moment with with baby Yoda reaching up and they almost touch fingers and then it cuts it's just it's such a poetic moment and so expertly executed by Favreau and company. I'm glad you brought up the Sistine Chapel thing. I like your description of that because a lot of people have been using the E.T. reference, which it does look a lot like the E.T. alien hand coming up. I I give them a lot of credit there, but yeah, it does. It has a very almost spiritual godlike moment at that. But but let's go back to the the introduction is again, much like the original film, uh, uh, New Hope, you have this opening sequence in a very kind of dark and, and seedy area, a uh, seedy bar, and then all chaos and hell breaks loose. Oh, and yeah. I mean, there are people getting chopped in half and they're shot and killed. And 
in the first opening sequence. Yeah. Right. He he chops the guy in two with the with the uh, oscillating door or whatever you want to call it. Like it's so, like an iris, like a camera iris door. Yeah. And they don't pull back from that. I mean, we don't see it, but you do see part of the body fall. You certainly and, hear it, and you hear the thud on the <laughs> that's floor. So great. Uh, but that's what's so yeah. reminiscent to me <clears throat> yeah. of uh, Moss Eisley, the whole cantina sequence. Is yeah. it's it's got that raw feel like yeah. you're in a bar this is not a nice place yeah seedy people dark yeah. scary people hang out at this place so the other thing i wanted to mention i'm glad you brought that up with the bar because um the other thing about the show that i think is great is it brings in old sort of like original trilogy feel and elements and it's the spaghetti western style and all of that but it brings them in in new and unexpected ways so, for example, in episode two, when he's coming, he's going back to his ship, and the Jawas are there raiding his ship. Yeah. And you have that whole sequence with him trying to climb the side of the sand crawler, and the Jawas are throwing stuff down at him. Yeah. That is so great. One of my favorite sequences in the entire series, Steve. I'm glad you brought that up. The, yeah. the one thing I really appreciated about that is. We're getting such a callback to the original trilogy, like you said, but just different enough that it's believable to me. The only thing I had an argument about is how did they get the sand crawler onto another planet? I'm hoping it's just a transport. (laughs) They've got some sort of like hauling, you know, vessels that take. Do we know that that's not Tatooine? We do, and we do know that. I can't remember how, why. Because there is, okay, so in some of the canon, like the released uh, uh, merchandise, they are called off world Jawas. Okay. So, and they do have a different look. There oh, is that's a. Funny. They're almost like huh? a blackish gray, as opposed to the brown from uh, Tatooine. Okay. Um, but yeah, again, they're still using the sand crawlers. That's their deal. Apparently, that's their mode of transportation. That's amazing. Uh, but kind of cool. I, I'm almost interested to see if there is going to be something that tells us, yeah, they move around the galaxy and they just scavenge everything they can get. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that whole sequence, it, it actually felt like a video game. I think there is a 90s video game that has a very similar situation of a character who has to traverse the side or up the, uh, a sand crawler at one yeah. point. I can't think of it. Greg's going to pull it out of somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure he's yelling at me right now. Uh, but yeah, wonderful sequence. Yeah. Um, I, again, a million things to talk about. Let me add one more element to this. What makes this so unique but still Star Wars is, um, is the moment where we don't get the same themes that we get. We all love John Williams. We know all the famous... Uh, the, the song, the music, and everything that he's put into this thing, but now we're getting this right. very uh, spaghetti western vibe and yes. sound, and yes. it's it's again, I'm going to use this a lot. It's dark, and it yeah. feels, you know, like there's a mood and a gloom in the galaxy five to seven years after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Things aren't happy. Things aren't exactly how they should be. Right. Uh, but we are starting to see a little presence of some of the rebellion in there uh-huh. that's now becoming the Republic again. Right. So I'm kind of I'm interested. But in lawlessness prevails. Right? Definitely. In this, in this in this time period, the outer realm or the uh, yeah. That's it's it's worth noting the composer um, Ludwig or Ludwig. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ludwig Göransson. Okay. Is the composer for that a great score for the Mandalorian, and you can pull those down. Um, from YouTube, I've seen them posted on YouTube on the official like Star Wars channel. They just they just post the whole score. Fantastic! I am stuff. definitely going to be getting that soundtrack if they do yeah. put out a full soundtrack to yeah. it. But I'll get some of the clips. Um, yeah, I did that actually for one of the old ones from the '90s. Uh, they did a Shadows of the Empire um, actual soundtrack by a different composer. That was a wonderful piece. Yeah, still one of my favorites to Good listen stuff. to. Good stuff. Uh, just some other so so we, we talked about doing highlights and, and lowlights. Let's get into so, it. So so what else jumped out for you? What are some of the other highlights of the season that uh, that you that stuck with you for this first season of The Mandalorian? Scott? Yeah, let's go with I'll, I'll stick with mostly the positive stuff because yeah, let's I go do, highlights. I do have some critiques of the show. I think it's just kind of working out the kinks and maybe a little bit of uh, some writer fatigue at some point, but. For the most part, let's get into the positive stuff. Um, yeah, the Sandcrawler stuff is amazing. Yeah. I love the introduction and the ongoing character arc of... Uh, I'm going to get his name wrong, but uh, the Ugnaught. The, uh, oh, Quill. Quill. Quill, yes. Um, I do love how that character was kind of presented. It Again, it's a throwback to Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. uh, but gives 
those characters a little more of a voice now that he actually talks and has I an have interest. spoken. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love how he it's talks. Great. I love he has a different way. He's not just like every other character who speaks English, but has a different mannerism to him. And, and I have spoken is, is is getting into the nerd vernacular. Oh for yeah, sh- for sure. It's already there. Isn't it funny that Baby Yoda and I Have Spoken have become like the biggest things yeah. and not anything from Rise of Skywalker? I, I yeah. find that very interesting Yeah, right we now. need to have that ongoing discussion. Yeah. That's another show. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, Keep it positive. Keep it positive. I like a lot of the callbacks. Uh, yeah. There is the episode of Tatooine where they're going to find... Um, I'm always going to call her May from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but... Um, oh, the one where they're out on Tatooine, you actually see all of the bar. You see one of the hangars that the Falcon uh, landed in. How cool was that to go back to Mos Eisley? Oh, every sequence in there, the yeah. booth that they sat yes. in, everything. The external, uh, there's like a blown out like radar dish or something right outside it's the, all the entrance to the cantina that's always been there. Nothing changes. Nobody upgrades or fixes anything on Mos Eisley. Yeah, that apparently. was episode five. That's the gunslinger. Such yeah. a great great uh, callback. I love the speeder bikes or the swoop bikes they actually used on that. Amazing to me. By the way, I love the moment when they walk into the cantina yeah. and uh, there's a droid. There's a droid working behind the bar. Yeah. And initially we heard we don't serve their kind. Right. Pointing at 3PO. Right. Showing progress has <laughs> happened in a galaxy far, yes. far away. Equal oh, rights for droids. What's even better is that was a slave torture droid from Jabba's <laughs> palace right. named EV-99. <laughs> Is that's now a, running the bar on Maz Eisley. That's a great pull. Yes, um, that was awesome. So great. Yeah. So I'm happy to see the droid scanner has been pulled from the bar and droids are allowed. <laughs> yes. Uh, although they are still using um, IG88 heads for the <laughs> the alcohol dispensers. Oh, I did not see that. Yeah, they're still in there. Oh, that's awesome. So maybe they're a little sadistic still. <laughs> But uh, well, nobody likes IG88s unless they're on your side. Apparently, frankly, IG units. So that uh, another thing, the IG character is amazing oh. in this. Oh, so good. Voiced um, by Taika Waititi. Yes. Yep. Director and actor extraordinaire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many other moments in this. Let me let me get to a couple other things that we saw. So Waititi played IG11 and Hitler in the past year. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Star Wars, <laughs> two brutal murderers. That's what he. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So overall, I, I do like a lot of the callbacks to the original series. They're not in your face for the most part. They're incorporated well into a used universe. Yeah. Um, and it serves the story for the most part. It serves the story, and I'm actually super excited about season two, which sadly is not for another what eight or nine months. Yeah, fall of 2020. Yeah. We have to wait a whole almost a whole year. I'm assuming it's yeah. going to be around October. If they want to try and push that date, that'd be great. Yeah. Disney, if you're listening, which I know you are, Bob Iger, you're a big fan. Yeah. Uh, please, maybe even September, get it to us. All right. Now, Dave had an interesting theory. Yeah. He floated out to me. I don't think he shared this on the show, so I'm going to... I'm going to take some liberties here. Let's do this. And float it out there. Because we can call him out on the next episode. He said I could. He said I could share it. Okay. What if the titular character, the Mandalorian, is Baby Yoda? And in season two, now I'm going to extrapolate on his theory a little bit. In season two, we fast forward 200 years... (laughs) <laughs> to baby Yoda, who is now full-grown Yoda species, who has become a Mandalorian warrior. Because as we learned, it's a creed. Man, the, uh, being a Mandalorian is a creed, not a race. So what if baby Yoda becomes trained in the ways of being a Mandalorian and becomes a badass, force-using Mandalorian? So he's like a three-foot-tall Mandalorian. As extreme as that is, and a good point... Because they do set up the idea, the concept of foundlings. Right. Oh, and then some. They talk about foundlings quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And he is a baby, and he's being raised by a Mandalorian. It would only take like two bars of the steel to create his entire armor, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I want to see how the helmet fits on him with those ears. Yes. Does he have a special... Probably. I don't know. <laughs> armor for his Beskar ears. steel. Beskar. Yeah. I said Beskar. Well, I'm all over the place. Beskar. Beer. The beer is kicking Beskar in. Beskar steel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks to Timeless Pines. Thanks to Timeless Pines. We can't Pines. speak as well as we could when we started this. Fascinating. Show. I'm going to throw a wrench in Dave's plan, so I can't wait to have the argument with Dave <laughs> on Wednesday um, for our next recording. Let's let's talk about that. Uh, my issue is is they left it on a cliffhanger. Yeah. There's a massive cl- cliffhanger. We already talked about spoilers. I'm going to say it one more time. No, really, if you stuck with us this far and you really don't know what happens in the last episode, leave no. now and come back in a week after you watch it. Multiple times, by the way, because they're... First of all, the introduction to a character in this, um, which was played by... I'm going to forget his name, but it's the the actor that plays Gus from Breaking Bad. Yeah, I'll find it for you. Um, who plays a, a TIE fighter pilot general, I believe? Is he, He's a general or a... He's a, he's a high-up uh, imperial soldier. Yeah. His, um, the character's name... Is I'm look I'm digging it up for you. Should be episode six and seven. It's Gideon. Gideon okay. is the is the character's name. Okay. Um. Well, let's get into that while Steve's looking that up. Yeah, um, introduced as one of the most badass characters and moments in the entire series. Um, just an unleashing of like imperial power, like what we saw in the original uh, trilogy. Is you see stormtroopers lined up in the streets and just tear apart this place where uh, the client who was played by Werner Herzog uh, was basically camped out Um, there is this moment where they just tear that place apart just with that imperial firepower Uh, and it doesn't matter if they hit on target or not because there's about a hundred of them just unleashing Uh, plus we get to see some new features of a TIE fighter the classic TIE fighter with the Folding S foils almost yeah, makes it knew? look like an X wing a little bit. Okay, the actress' name is Giancarlo Esposito. Thank you. My goodness, I can't believe that. I, I yeah. apologize sincerely uh, to Mister Giancarlo. Esposito. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what you call him? G- I call Giancarlo. G- I, uh, we're on first name basis. Yeah. Although I can't didn't know his name. No, that's that's all good. So you have the sequence, um, which eventually leads to a great moment of. Uh, our main character, the Mandalorian, uh, attached to the right. top of the TIE fighter, which eventually crashes, and you think uh, this character ends up perishing, but you see him. He actually holds a relic that we've seen in a previous uh, animated series called the Dark Saber. Right. He cuts himself out of this burning TIE fighter with this Dark Saber, and I swear, I think every fan that's been a fan of the Clone Wars series just screamed out loud like just yeah. a moment like like Alderaan instead of in pain it was just joyful because that is going to be a moment they're going to have to tackle sincerely that's why I think Dave and his, his uh, skipping ahead 200 years might be a little bit off on this maybe season 3 let's give him season 3 on this Steve right so, well <laughs> well we have we have to figure out the Darksaber We've got to dis- we, we we have to figure out why Gideon's got the dark saber, um, how we got it, and it's a, obviously a perfect time with Mandalorian. If you don't know, dark the dark saber was a originally the weapon of the first Mandalorian Jedi, right? Right, because the Mandalorian and the Jedi were at war with each other for millennial millenniums millennium, yeah, not for a millennial. Sorry, they couldn't one, care less about a millennial. One thousand years. A thousand years. Yeah. And um, the last we saw it in on on a screen was in the um, the Clone Wars. Clone Wars season five or six. Towards the end. Yeah. A character named Pre Vizsla. That's right. Had the dark saber, which was also voiced by John Favreau. John Favreau. So there's the connection. Yeah. So this was an sort of an ancient Mandalorian weapon, but it was a Mandalorian Jedi, and now it's in the hands of the Empire, looking for a Mandalorian. So there is a connection and a, a, a tangled web being woven here. We just need to figure it out, and I think that's what's going to happen in season two. So here's the great thing. Not only the connections you brought up, but we're talking about Filoni as well. Dave Filoni, who uh, basically headed that entire series. Um, I am more interested in now the backstory of how that came about. Not just knowing how he got it, but where it's been over the last, what, 10, 15 years. 
between original trilogy and the Clone Wars. Right. I'm so curious to see how that. Actually, I think it's a little bit more than that. So the Clone the Clone Wars episodes are between uh, film episodic movies two and three, right? Okay. And this is taking place after Episode six. So we're talking about this is like more like a fifty year gap. Is it that long? Yeah, it would be. Because okay, we got to go timeline on this. I'm going to get timeline ready for us because we're going to be tackling this a lot. So begun the Clone Wars have. So that that happened in Episode 2 when the Clone Wars begun. Right, but right? the series the, itself... The Clone Wars take place at the between Episode 2 and 3. Yeah. And then the Mandalorian is actually happening after Episode 6. That's correct. After Jedi. Yeah. And so that gap is how long? Oh, goodness. 30 years, right? Because, or so. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely pulling up a timeline for this one because I'm losing it. We always get ourselves in trouble on the we show. Do when we, math. When we never try, never do math. Star Wars math is the hardest. Never talk about a character that you don't know the name already. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've learned. Uh, Dave what is you going have to annihilate me on this Yeah, one. that's okay. Um but no, you're you're right. There's a there there is a web being woven, and it's going to be untangled for us in season two. But I do love the idea of a little pint-sized, ass-kicking, force-wielding Mandalorian. Well, Steve, now I'm, now I'm gonna, <laughs> maybe that's episode or maybe season this is, three. This has been a love fest so far. We've been talking about. So let now yeah. I'm gonna have to get in. Get all you. Right. I'm gonna have to get you all riled all right, up. Bring here. me down. Bring okay. me down. What you, didn't you like? No, no, about I, the Mandalorian. I'll get to that in just a second. Oh. I want to bring out the the fire and the anger in Steve right now. So Ooh. here it is. You just mentioned Yoda, baby Yoda, okay. and we're gonna talk about that. What's there? There seems to be another force power that Baby Yoda has. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> I, I was thinking to myself, there's nothing that Scott can tell me that's going to get me mad. I'm at Timeless Pines. I'm with my friend I'm talking Star Wars, and you got to bring this up. The nice flip I, on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the force healing thing. Force Let's healing. talk about that. Yeah. All right. So, as the timeline, the sequential order of events, the week that the Mandalorian episode was it episode seven. Ep 7 hit on Wednesday. They released it early okay. because Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. If that's the reason why, I understand why it upsets you. Yeah, that's exactly why. Why else would they do that? The problem is, is they already Wait. showed in the first episode when he's wounded that he's trying to heal him. So let's give him yeah, at least a they month. Know? We didn't know that. that we no, didn't, I don't what buy else that. is he going to do? I do not buy that for a second. Jedi bandage wrapping? I don't. What is he going to do? What were do? they trying to heal? Trying to heal them? He was reaching he, out. He's reaching out, trying to touch him. Okay, he was. He was shot. He was shot. All right. And he was trying to heal him. So that, give him at least a month. So you're going to retcon that. And oh, sure, he was trying to heal him. Why not? They can retcon everything else. Why can't right. I? So, okay, so uh, so the week... Okay. Oh, I'm going to make, make you really crazy mad in a second Hang with on. retconning. All right. So <laughs> I think it was it would have been December 18th was Wednesday. Yeah. Mandalorian Episode 7 hit the, hit the Apple... Uh, sorry. Disney Plus. Yeah. Thursday, December 19th, Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker, in theaters. So Wednesday the 18th, we see Yoda, Force Heal, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Uh, and then the next day... And then, okay, when that happened in The Mandalorian, what did you think? Did you, how did you, what was your interpretation of that? Did that seem off to you or were you like, oh, did you, were you accepting of it? I was. What, what, how did you feel about it in the moment then? Here's how I was accepting of it and I'm going to run Don't go on it. to Rise of Skywalker. I'm going to stick, stick to Mandalorian. How I did will, you feel about this, that? It felt as a natural part of the show because we had already seen a moment where it looked like that's what he was going to do. That's my argument. It's not me reg- retconning. There was a moment where he was trying to do something to help heal the Mandalorian. Okay, but before that, in that moment when he was trying to help heal the Mandalorian, were you thinking, oh, he's trying to help heal the Mandalorian? I did. He had a wound from a laser bolt, and what else is he going to do? Can you hear my eyes rolling? Is the microphone that sensitive? Uh, To our audience, you're going to hear Steve's eyes pop out of his skull after go I retcon this. Go ahead. So there's actually a retcon that people have been talking about, and I've been wanting to talk about this, and now Dave is going to flip out too. Yeah. That goes all the way back to 1977. Okay. There is a sequence in the original film. I know the one you're talking about. 
where Obi-Wan, after a very damaged Luke, is laying on the ground. He places his hand over his head, and now people are saying that Obi-Wan had force healing abilities to help him heal from the wounds. Those were like smelling salts compared to oh, this. Oh, okay. Does he this, have this sealed up an open gaping wound. <laughs> Alright? This was like, hey, slapping this hey, wake up. Wake up. That's what that was. No, no, no. We didn't see a wound be healed. Okay. And don't tell me that we didn't have the special effects back then because that's bullshit. <laughs> I'm loving this because it gets even crazier. <laughs> All right. How? This is you're talking about the scene after Luke gets gets uh, attacked by the the sand people. That's right. Okay, I That's just right. want to make sure. Because it's not just smelling salts, it's not just clapping his hands. He actually places his hands like on Luke, his temples, on his temples yep, in a I very distinct pattern over his, over his forehead yeah. and brings him back. Now, I don't think Luke was dead. I think what they're trying to point out is that he was hurt more than what we saw. Okay. And Obi-Wan was able to bring him back. Almost like smelling salts, but in a healing factor way. That's what people are arguing. All right. Doesn't mean I necessarily believe it, but this is now an argument. You're just trying to make me angry. (laughs) I know. I I want to see the fire, man. My position is we've never seen Jedi heal like this. This is (laughs) lazy writing. (laughs) This is laziness. Oh, we're going to talk lazy writing? Let's get back into episode four of The Mandalorian, (laughs) which should have been 13 and a half minutes long, not 40 minutes. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Let's get into that. Wait, right. We're still talking about cool stuff. Let's talk about cool stuff because we got a little no, bit. No, let's stay lot. negative because we got, we got more to cover here. Okay. So, but because I want to continue the, the timeline of – so we saw we saw Baby Yoda heal right. on Wednesday. That's right. Then on Thursday at the, what, 8.15 p.m. showing yeah. of The Rise of Skywalker, I saw Rey heal – not once, but twice. Yeah. Uh, first, it was that python, that huge thing, that creature in the cave beneath the sand pit. Was it me? I'm going to sidetrack. Was it me, or did you wait for Arnold to pop out in his Conan barbarian <laughs> outfit just to stab him with it? Of course. Yeah, I was oh, yeah. waiting okay. for that. All right. And then, and then, secondly, heal Kylo. Yeah. After he healed her, yeah, or was it before? Right. Now that's, I'm losing no, no, the timeline. She, Oh my god. Because um, she died. She heals him first on the remnants of the Death Star. Yes, thank you. When they're fighting in the. She in stabs the, him. On the Death Star, yeah. That's an oopsie moment. Oh, I stabbed you. I better heal you, basically. Right. Yeah. Sorry, babe. And somehow he learned how to heal back and heals her later. Or at least gives his life essence back to uh, him. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot to dissect and discuss yeah. about Rise. Yeah. And Dave's Dave's position as well. It makes sense that Jedi should be able to do that. My position as well. It makes sense that Superman could shoot an arrow really far, shoot a bow and now arrow. You're trying to get me angry, right? Because I'm going to talk but about him. You would never. It would look weird if all of a sudden Superman grabbed a bow and arrow off his back and shot a, an opponent with it. Because Superman doesn't do that, and Jedi don't heal but, wounds. But they can. They're not field medics. Why didn't we see this in the animated series? Are you telling me? Are you telling me, Scott Ivansky, that we didn't have the technology to build the 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 <laughs> the animations for force healing? That's in right. Seven That's seasons right. of the Clone Wars. The CG could only go so far. Okay. That's all I'm saying. All right, fine. <laughs> you know what was it? It was one of the. DC- it's a good thing that that that. Pod, that this isn't a smelling podcast. It's audible only because there would be some serious bullshit smell. I know. Well, I don't know. What seeping you're talking through about. the speakers of I people's smell cars is a right bunch now. Of beer and a bunch of guys talking about something. They're That's really a good point. Cheers. But, but, but cheers. 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 All right. Yeah. There's All right, our peace offering. Damn it. <laughs> no. So, have to bring up voice here. But here's the funny thing. You brought that up yeah. about Superman, and I made a, a funny little uh, Photoshop moment for you on our. our uh, thread. Yeah. But let's talk about that. There are actually in the show, like the DC television shows, where they have a moment where they have like a, a, a face-off with Flash and one of the uh, other faster characters. I'm like, why? That other character doesn't really do that. But here's, what yeah. was it, Supergirl or somebody? Somebody runs with Flash. And I'm like, okay, that's not really why Superman or whoever it was does that, but they can. Can Superman shoot a bow and arrow, arrow faster than Green Arrow? Yeah, but sure. Did they do that in the middle of the most pivotal moment in the, like, well, that's penultimate why. moment of the whole series? 
Maybe when we get the JJ final cut. <laughs> we'll <laughs> that's, that's another thing. 192 minutes. That's right. Coming soon. All right. Hashtag what, Greg is really upset now. <laughs> all right. What else? What else did you find for us? Do you want to talk about episode four of the series? What, I do. The week length something really good. Okay. Okay. We'll go back to that. We week. got about five minutes. Yeah. We'll wrap this okay. up. Yeah. So the thing about episode four was, and again, I'm not, I'm not laying this at the feet of Bryce Dallas Howard. I think she did a fine job directing the episode, but I think what they did was you talked earlier about lazy writing, and episode four is the prime example of lazy writing to me. Okay. If you know the episode, it is basically, um, it is a, a very famous, what, oh my god, I'm going to pull the wrong reference here, but it's Hidden Fortress, oh yeah, uh, Seven Samurai, the one where a bunch of warriors have to train a bunch of farmers and basically come in and help them defend their land, and uh, that's what the Mandalorian does who's hired out. Now here's the problem with this. The Mandalorian, the concept is the Mandalorian's on the run and needs a place to hide and right. not be recognized. Well, when you are introduced to a bunch of characters who need help and he's sent off to this distant remote area of this planet, yeah. okay, it takes them, according to the, the, the actual dialogue, a full day to get to where he's at. Right. He has a ship. Why does he need to sit in a little cart and go a full day? Nobody's going to recognize the ship going over to the farm, so you would have saved yourself 23 hours. Trying not to draw attention, yeah. didn't know where to go. To what? Nobody else is there. <laughs> Nobody else is on the planet but farmers yeah. and bad guys who are beating up the farmers. So right. fly your ship over, and here's the thing. Why spend all the time training these farmers, which you can still do, but you have a ship with a ton of weapons on it, and you could fly that ship into the remote area of a forest and blow the shit out of all of those bad guys, never making a stink so anybody else hears it. Because you are seriously isolated in the middle of a swampy forest somewhere. And by the way, if you argue the fact that he's making a lot of noise, so did the giant ATST walker that came in and started like annihilating the farmers. Then the training sequence is the ultimate insult to me. Oh my god, they are farmers. You're telling me that as you're training, there's a goofy moment where a farmer's holding the spike in the wrong direction because he doesn't know that the pointy end goes to the bad guys? Stop it. That is where I start to lose it. That's That, to me, is the pivotal fart joke moment of that episode. That reminds like, me of Game of Thrones. It killed me. Stick him with the pointy end. And that's where I sat there and I said, if I had, if I was an editor, yeah. I would chop this thing down to about 13, maybe 14 minutes, and you have a great movie. A great uh, or, or add some conjecture about why they can't fly the ship over. Like, figure out some reason that, yeah. yeah like Don't just assume, because right. now you're just it's making us getting repaired or something. idiots. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what yeah. really bothered me. But overall, every episode has had a very uh, redeeming writer quality to it. That yeah. means I felt that they wrote enough to make it make sense and not yeah. insult the audience in, along the way. And that's what right. saves the series. And I think this makes the series at least, I'm going to say, a solid A minus to me. Okay. Minus the episode four, which knocked it down a notch. I actually annihilated that episode and gave it like a C or a C plus mm. rating. Um, but. I can't end on a negative note. If you want to discuss more about that, we're going to talk a little bit here and there throughout the next month or two about that show. We'll bring up some points. But I do want to point out one awesome moment is when we actually get to see the Mandalorians fight. And when they come in, and they even if they have disagreements in their little uh, group, their little uh, tribe, right. they stick together. And there is a moment where you see how they can unleash firepower like yeah. nothing and it is amazing and at that. the end of the day they've got that this creed that you know uh, brotherhood and sisterhood ultimately wins out above all this is the way this is the way um, which is also yeah. another great motto that is just taking over Star Wars yeah. fandom right now D- want to just make a really quick shout out to the article I referenced um, long ago at this point decider.com uh, the title of the article is The Mandalorian Revolutionized Streaming by Looking into TV's Past, um, talking about linear linear storytelling. Um, uh, focused storytelling is the way minimal flashbacks. Thank you, Stacy. Um, there are some flashbacks, but just uh, for really for context in the moment, not, not huge, nothing that d- derails the story in a big way, but just for, for context into The Mandalorian's Past. And that's certainly a positive here. 
um, episodic story structure and storytelling um, each week. Each episode can stand on its own, but there's a through line that connects them all, Scott. Yeah, what's wonderful, oh, we do, I know we're going to try and wrap this up super quick, but let's touch on that real super quick. Here's the deal. Uh, the flashbacks service the story so perfect and are so well done. Um, not only just telling the Mandalorian's backstory in these little brief segments, but also giving us some history of the prequel trilogy by bringing in some of the super battle droids, which are more menacing oh, in yeah. this series. Oh, they look so good. They do. They yeah. actually, it kind of reminded me of Battlestar Galactica, the new series. Yeah, um, I agree. No, really, that's a good pull. Yeah, they were scary. Like, yeah. they were coming through that little village, and they're just annihilating everything. And it's like, oh, yeah, I could see how they would be very scary. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I just lost my train of thought. Let's get back on that. Um, anyway, let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Uh, a million things to talk about, and I'll remember it later, and we'll get, we'll get that's into okay. it. That's okay. Well, this certainly isn't the last time we're going to talk about The Mandalorian, but uh, we, we feel like we Scott and I just had some stuff to get off our chest, and we're... We're grateful that we had the opportunity to do this together and, and yeah. for you. And thank you for listening. The uh, Mandalorian coming back in the fall. Yes. So we have a little bit of time to wait. Um, and this is real. Oh, well, we, we've got actually a few things to look forward to. We've got um, uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars being released, what, February 17th? Yeah, I believe that's the release date for it. Yep. So that's coming soon. Uh, yeah, that we, should tie a lot of the uh, Disney Plus people over for yes. however long that series runs. Hopefully it's not a binge thing where they drop it all. Have oh. they said how many episodes? Oh, I, I haven't actually yeah, seen I haven't that. seen it either. Okay. But that is one thing we needed to say also. I really That was what I was going with this. Yeah. I really love the idea and the concept that this is an episodic, um, individual episode series, which has an overall arc. Yes. I really think um, this has been brought up among some of the, uh, the guys on the show. Uh, it does have a feel of an old 70s or 80s episodic TV series. Uh, I think Dave mentioned Magnum PI or maybe some other shows. I've also mentioned it has a very X-Files or Buffy feel where not necessarily a Monster of the Week episode, but there is an overall season arc and most likely a series arc that's going to get us from point A to point B. But we're also getting these individual base series where you mentioned, Steve, yeah. you can just drop in at any old time right. and pick up an episode and really enjoy that episode for what it means. Just, I mean, just that. Certainly Baby Yoda seems to be the through point for the entire season one, of course, and hopefully moving forward seems like Baby Yoda. And now we've got this dark saber to uh, mystery to, to unravel, which is going to be exciting. Great way to build anticipation. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So good. All right. Well, um, we're grateful you're on the ride with us. Thanks a lot for tuning in. And uh, we'll be here with you next Friday. We've got a, a, a episode proper dropping in a, a, in a week or so. I'm sorry. We won't be at Timeless Pints, although we are very thankful for letting us, letting them use, uh, letting us use the facility. Oh, yeah. Big here thanks and- again to Timeless Pints, our new sponsor, for letting us sit here on a Sunday afternoon and enjoy a pint with football and people in the background and uh, me and Scott over here in the corner. That's right. There's actually a party coming in. And also, please, if you come in, please come in and say hi to Stacy and tell him the Wretched Hive sent you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Scott. Have a good week, everybody. You too, Steve.